night before he went to the cross, chapters 13 through 17. And one of the things we're trying to kind of build into this summer series is really focus on each of us kind of letting God nudge us in the direction of maybe one or two or three people who are not yet followers of Jesus but we love and going out of our way to love them, to serve them. Uh, maybe that's listening to them. Maybe that's sharing a meal or coffee. Maybe doing something together like a sporting event or a movie or a symphony or something. Uh, Karen Ewing, who goes to this church, and many of you will recognize it, she, she just does that very naturally as a part of her life. And so I wanted you to hear from her in this video. Lord Jesus, we love you. You inspire us that the people we love and reconcile with you. Lord, give us so much love for these people.
the Lord to you today. Seek guidance. And even as we go forward in John, and consider what last night what his disciples have told him about Jesus and Jesus. Let him say this to you today, too. Would you come and let's seek him out for Jesus. Let's seek first and hand for him. Seek to be close to him, know his person. And we will see that we love him more when we see him at full length. And he will make known that we are loved by the Lord as a person, and he is. Would you please speak to your friend and your spouse today? If you're able, would you stand as I read the first part of John chapter 14? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Would you please be seated? You probably recognize some of the famous quotes from Jesus in that passage. We won't cover it all today. We'll come back uh, for more in a couple of weeks. But our passage starts with, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, what, is, what does it mean to be troubled in your heart? Probably means to worry. Might mean to be upset, uh, sad. What are some of the things that trouble people today? This was written almost 2,000 years ago. What troubles people today? Well, I wanted to know the answer to that, so I Googled it. And I looked at a number of different polls, Gallup and other people, and it was interesting that they actually separate out, separated out the, the younger crowd. And particularly the 20-somethings, they said... 20-somethings, okay, so this is important. This is going to save you guys a lot of work, okay? Will I ever find the right person for me? And they worry about paying rent and stuff like that when they get out of the house. Or can I get a job that's a good fit? In other words, is the job I'm currently in, am I going to be stuck in this or can I get one that's a good fit? Now, when you change that to polls of adults across the spectrum, not just the younger crowd, it changes a little bit. And um, one of the top things that people worry about is getting old. Yeah. And being out of shape. And, you know, credit card debt and retirement. And, and their job. Not necessarily that they'll lose their job, but, you know, sometimes it's tough going to the same job day in and day out. They'll also worry about their kids and their marriage. Now, the 20-somethings, they worry about finding the right person. The older adults often worry if they found the right person. And people worry about conflicts and issues with friends and family. And then recently, you can guess the last one that people are also concerned about terrorism a lot and things like that. One study showed that four out of ten people are pretty unhappy with their life. 
It showed that people brood on average, brood, worry, feel troubled, 14 hours a week. Almost half the population says that stress and worry has hurt their health. 14 hours of brooding a week, that seems like a lot. Do you worry? Do you ever at night before a big test or something or after a conversation with someone that didn't go well and you kind of sit there in bed and brood and worry? Do you wake up in the middle of the night and worry about your kids or your friends or what's going to be happening? Do you lose sleep? How about just right now? Are you troubled today? Have you ever been troubled and somebody tried to talk you out of it? Tell you why you shouldn't be troubled? Cheer you up? Did it it work well? How'd that go? Because a lot of times it doesn't work very well. Now, do you think that that people were that much different when Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled? Do you think he knew that you can't just talk people out of being troubled? Sure he did. But he's going to offer much, much more than just some rational reasons why we shouldn't be troubled. But he's going to give us five truths. Today could be the beginning of a life with less and less worry. Would you like that? I would. I'd like that a lot. I've not been experiencing nearly as much peace lately, so I'm excited to see what will come out of this in my own heart and life. So first, why is Jesus telling his disciples not to be troubled in their hearts. Well, as we've been seeing in recent weeks, started out back in, in John 13, um, first of all, you know that they've been following Jesus for about three years. They've seen him walk on water, heal people, cast out demons, and then they started healing people and casting out demons. So, pretty exciting for them. And these are nobodies that, there is no rabbi in the whole country that would have said, oh yeah, Peter, I want you to be my follower. They, they just... And yet the most famous rabbi in the land called them to be following him. And they've become convinced that he's the Messiah. Now, the entire Jewish people have been waiting for centuries for this Messiah who would come and kick out their oppressors, in this case, the Romans, and set up this wonderful new Israel, this kingdom, and be the king. So they were expecting Jesus to be what? The king. And just a few days earlier, Jesus had rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. People had put down their cloaks and waved palm branches and cheered as the disciples walked along with Jesus. And we don't really get it, but there were tens of thousands of people streaming into Jerusalem at that time. It may have been tens of thousands of people cheering for them. And they're thinking, this is it. We've arrived. Jesus is going to be king. He's come to conquer. He's powerful. Everybody's hanging on every word. This is exciting. Our day has come. Our ship has come in. So now, on this night, as we saw a couple weeks ago in John 13, they're vying for positions of power in the new kingdom. Talking about, oh, I'm greater than you are, and I should sit here, and you should sit there. And just a few minutes before Jesus tells them not to be troubled, he's kind of taken them to school again. And this isn't the first time we know of at least three times that he had conversations with them about what true greatness is, that it's not being like King Herod, it's serving like Jesus. And yet they keep going down this road, and now he's actually 
they probably are feeling really silly because Jesus took up his clothes, girded himself with the towel, and washed their feet, taking the place of the lowest servant in the household. So they probably kind of feel, oh, man, you really blew it. But then it actually says in the previous chapter that Jesus is deeply troubled. Now, how often do you think the disciples thought Jesus was deeply troubled? When you think of Jesus, you think, oh, he walked around just deeply troubled all the time. I don't think so. I think probably most of the time Jesus is kind of like, you know, 40,000 feet, just cruising and healing people and casting out demons and not, not upset, but he's upset. When, when babies or toddlers see their mom or dad troubled, upset, what usually happens to babies or toddlers? They kind of get upset. Because we pick up, we're impacted on people's emotional state. You know, when a boat's leaving the harbor, they only let it go five miles per hour because that then creates a very small wake. If it creates a bigger wake, it goes faster. It bounces all the boats around. It's very irritating. can even do damage into the boat. And people are like that with their emotions. As we go through life, if we're very troubled, then it bothers the people around us. We all kind of have to take responsibility for our emotional wake. If we are peaceful and joyful, God really wants us, people really want us around. I think in general, the disciples did not usually see Jesus so deeply troubled, so they were probably more impacted than if he were always troubled. But he's very troubled. And he announces that one of them is going to betray him. Now, we're told in Matthew's Gospel, not here in John, but in Matthew's Gospel, the disciples are immediately very sorrowful when Jesus says this, and they start saying, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? But they don't probably really get what this means. See, it says that when Jesus had told them in times past that he was going to die, it says in Luke, but they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so that they might not perceive it. There's some supernatural stuff that goes on in Jesus' life. He doesn't talk everybody into anything. He, the disciples don't really understand that he's going to be crucified because that's his plan, and he doesn't want somebody to stop it. So they remember this stuff later, but at the time, they don't get it. And so when Jesus says, one of you is going to deny me, I don't think they understand that means somebody's going to betray me, I mean, not deny, betray me, and they're going to go, and I'm going to go die because of it. So they are upset because they know it's bad to betray him, but I don't think they get it. Then at the end of chapter 13, right before today's passage, Jesus stuns him. He says, I'm leaving, and you can't go with me. Now, can you imagine how astounding that would have been? After three years, they leave everything behind. They follow him. They think, this is it. We've arrived. They cheered us as we came into the city. Jesus is going to be king. I'm going to maybe be a chancellor or something or this or that other thing, probably rich. You know, the, the person, the Messiah we've been waiting for all of our lives is coming in, going to kick out the Romans. I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be a hero among all my people my family. And then Jesus says, I'm leaving. You can't come with me. And Peter begs him. Peter says, Lord, why can't I go with you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. How troubling do you think that was for Peter? How troubling for the rest of the disciples. Peter's the leader. Peter's the strong one. Peter's the one that go get him, and he's going to 
tonight, Jesus, three times. Would you open a Bible or an app to John 14? It's on page 901 in the Pew Bible. See, do you you get the setting why the, the disciples are just being torn apart here? They've been jostling for position, but they feel like schmucks because Jesus washed the feet. Jesus has been deeply troubled, and Judas leaves. Maybe at that point, Jesus isn't so troubled. Remember, Satan had entered into Jesus. And Jesus is leaving them, and they can't come with him. And Peter's going to betray him. And then it's at that point that we get to chapter 14. I'm going to start in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also. So according to Jesus, what is one key to less worry? It's right there in the text. To not being troubled or brooding 14 hours a week by comforter. What's the, what's the key? Belief. Belief in the force? In freedom? Or love? No, belief in God. And in this case, it means God the Father and belief in Jesus, God the Son. Belief in, trust in, reliance upon, confidence in assurance that God has got this, whatever your tr- is troubling you, whatever situation you're in, whatever's worrying you. Now, Jesus said that we have to receive his kingdom like a child. That doesn't mean that we are not supposed to study the Bible and try to understand and, and do what we can, but we often reach the limits of our understanding. I certainly do. And it's very hard in some difficult situations that worry us to know how in the world it could work out for good. And at that point, we have to come as a child. We have to say, you know, my Father in Heaven knows more than I do. And I trust Him. He's proven that He can be trustworthy. So Jesus says to believe in Him and in the Father. Verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself that where I am, you may be also. Knowing what's coming, knowing the future, knowing that an amazingly wonderful situation is coming is incredibly helpful. When we know that whatever is troubling us is temporary, it makes a huge difference. Now, when I was younger, you can talk to my wife about this later, when I would get sick, like the flu or something, I was kind of a big baby, and I'd go, oh, I'm sick, this is awful, you know, and oh, this is bad, unfair, and so forth. And Janice would quit, yeah, you never gave care to anybody. You know, what do you know? But over the years, my attitude has changed. People can change. Because um, now what I think about is, you know, when I get well, I'm going to feel great. I'm going to feel enthusiastic. If I was even a little depressed before I got sick, I know that when I get well, I'll have peace. So I say, yeah, this is okay. I'm, I, I mostly look forward to how great that will be. See, one of the top things on the list that people across the ages are worried about is getting older. And getting old is not sufficient. You lose one ability after another. Perhaps the ability to walk or to see or to hear. Humiliating things happen. My grandmother died at 107. She went to be with Jesus. And she, she wanted to make it to 100, but then after that, the last seven years were, were quite a trial. Her sight went, her hearing went. She had no short-term memory. Her friend, but when you're 107, everybody, all your friends are dead, okay? 
not very many people come to the memorial service. Um, but when we would talk, he was looking forward to being with Jesus and receiving back her sight and her hearing and her memory and her friends, and she has. See, Jesus says, and when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The disciples are troubled, in part because he's told them he's leaving them. But now he assures them they will be together later. Now, some scholars feel that in this passage, Jesus is referring to what happened when you get married in the Jewish culture back then, very different than our marriage. You know that most marriages were arranged. But that didn't mean you didn't know the person you were going to get married. Over 80% of the population lived in rural settings, not the cities. And so you knew your community. You knew everybody's business. There was not a lot of privacy. And so it might be that, you know, the girl was looking over there at the guy, and the guy was looking over at the girl, and they kind of, you know, admired each other from afar, or maybe even more than, you know, knew each other a little better than that. And the families would get together and arrange their marriage, and they would sign a betrothal contract, which was very binding. It was like a marriage now would be only even more so. And what would happen is that the young man would then go back to his father's house, and he would build a room. Usually, not always, but usually attached to the father's house. And when the room was done, he and his buddies and his family, the whole entourage, would come and they would have the wedding ceremony and a celebration for some days. And then he would take his bride back to his father's house. So you see the imagery. Because Jesus said that we are his bride. And here he said that he's gone to prepare a place for us. Very similar to what happened in the uh, marriage culture of their time. Because we think he's wise and beautiful and loving, that spending time with him is better than anything, then we, we have this excitement, no matter what we're going through now, knowing that our marriage to him is permanent. He's coming to get us. So when we're prone to worry about getting older or finances or finding the right person or whatever it might be, this belief that God has our back and that we have this great future coming He's working out all things together for our good. Even our death can be really helpful. Our future situation is going to exceed our our greatest expectations. Our troubles are only temporary. And that really helps me because sometimes I'm tempted to kind of allow myself to brood or wallow and wake up in the middle of the night. So I remind myself these things. Now, this last night discourse of Jesus, 13 through 17 of of John, the Gospel of John, he comes back to this topic several times. So rather than treat them later, I'm going to to tell you about them right now. And, And if you skip over to verse 27 of chapter 14 of John, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus gives us peace. Now, some years later, the Apostle Paul will refer to it as the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And Paul makes it clear that this kind of peace, it does kind of go along with faith and with a grateful heart. But it's also like the trust that toddler has, not understanding everything. Our trust does not depend on us understanding how all of this will work, other than 
we do know that eventually, where will we be? We'll be with Jesus. I'll be with my grandmother. Jesus also helps us have peace by forewarning us. And at first this may sound like, oh, how would you get your peace? Yes, it does. Look at John 16, have to turn a page, verse 32 and following. And Jesus says, remember, this is last night. He's given them final instructions and heads up. He says, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, every man to his home, and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said this to you, that in me you may have peace. Doesn't sound that peaceful. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see, it's, it's one thing if all of a sudden you just get surprised when everything is awful. It's another thing if you've been forewarned. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you things are going to get bad. I'm telling you now, so you won't be surprised, so you'll know I'm not surprised. See, God's not surprised. He knows what's coming. The world is going to attack you, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So all of these things help. But even with all of this information, we are not strong enough to have this peace that passes understanding just on our own power. And it's, we're not meant to just kind of keep telling ourselves, well, I'll be with Jesus eventually, and he knew these bad things were going to happen so I can be at peace. It's not enough. It's not about convincing. It's like talking somebody out of worrying. It doesn't usually work. It needs more than that. And in chapter 16, Jesus is going to tell them, look at verse 8, verse 6. Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Okay, they're really having a rough time, the disciples, this last night. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the counselor, I think your version is the helper, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The counselor, the helper, is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus makes it very clear, and we'll get back to this as we, in future uh, messages about John 13 through 17, he makes it very clear the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son, they come and they make their home in us. And the Holy Spirit pours God's love into our hearts and gives us this supernatural peace. That's what God wants for us. And the Holy Spirit does it partly by helping you to remember what God has done for you, partly by giving you Jesus' encouraging words, but also just a supernatural flooding of peace, which many of you I know have experienced. So our peace isn't merely based on the concepts. We need more help than that. We need the Holy Spirit to help us believe deeply and actually supernaturally give us that kind of relief and peace. It doesn't make sense. Now, we saw the video of Karen Ewing earlier and, and how she just kind of naturally burst into her life, coming alongside people and loving on them. And that can be very helpful to people. Have you ever thought what it would be like for the people in your life that you love that have not yet turned their life over to Jesus? If you're going through a storm in life, and they're observing you, and they are, and they see that you're at peace in spite of the storm. See, everybody wants peace. And when they see you go through some awful situation and yet trust God and be at peace, maybe not perfectly, but just, you know, you, you get that peace that surpasses all understanding. 
That can be very attractive when they want to know what makes you tick. I met Karis when she was four or five years old. Uh, her parents were colleagues, and um, she was just a delightful young woman, very, very, very bright, um, very bubbly and helpful and all these things. But Karis was born without a working intestine. And so she was in and out of the hospital and uh, just almost died a number of times and eventually had um, two, two intestinal transplants with other organs as well at one time. And then um, she did end up passing away in her late 20s, almost 30s. Uh, she was, at the time, the oldest living survivor in the world with her condition. Um, but Karis had this amazing trust in teaching God. And all these times she'd be in the hospital, and if she was feeling good enough, she'd just kind of get up and take her IV pole on wheels and go walking down the hall, and she'd find other people, and she'd just visit with them with this amazing peace and love and talking about Jesus. The hospital staff just thought she walked on water. And um, they were very attracted to Jesus at that time. Today, will you let go of whatever comes in? Will you just give it back to God? Will you believe in God the Father? Believe in Jesus? Look out this wonderful plan for you. Everything that's troubling you is canceled out. Will you ask the Holy Spirit to, to, to pour God's love into you and just give you this supernatural peace that surpasses all understanding? Just let go. Let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus has got 